Welcome, everybody. I hope that you have had a great last week, and I hope that the next week coming up will be a great one as well. Thanks for joining us today as we continue to dive into exploring God's ancient wisdom for our modern world. As we get ready to do that today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Back in the 1960s and 1970s and even early 1980s, there was a particular old television game show called Password. Now, I don't know how many of you know what I'm talking about when I reference that game show called Password, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was a pretty simple game show, but it could be a lot of fun, where individuals would offer one word clues in order that it could be guessed what the target subject was. So for example, if clues such as fun, mouse, magical <laughs> would be offered, what might start to come to mind for you? I bet before very long, you would think, of course, of Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse, and you would be right with those kinds of clues. Or if I were to give you some clues such as these, dynasty, college, basketball, what college would come to mind for you? And of course, I know that the answer would be Duke. In this particular sermon series, we're exploring together how we can discern a next right step in our lives whenever we are facing choices and decisions of any kind in our lives. And we recognize that we currently live in a time when there are just so many loud and competing voices coming our way. And so far, we have started to dive into words like true, honorable, just, and now today we're going to look at the word pure all of which can serve as clues for us to get to the target of discernment, to get to the point of not just associating, but actually understanding what it is that is God's will in any situation in which we find ourselves. Now, I realize when we start to lift up these different clues and words, words like true, honorable, just, pure, they can carry different associations and connotations with them. And so part of our goal in this series is to unpack each one of those in such a way that each clue, each word that is given to us gives us clarity on discernment and a next right step, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. So that our goal is to figure out and discern a next right and faithful step, no matter the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And again, it's no secret to say that life is complicated. Uh, we have so many different things coming our way. I remember when my kids were small, if they were in the grocery store with us and we would say to them on occasion, you can go to the cereal aisle and you can pick out one cereal, just one, that whichever one you want, we'll get that one for you today. And I can remember my kids sometimes going and they would just stand there in front of all these boxes of cereal with all these different brands and all of these different kinds. And they just stood there sort of mouths wide open, kind of eyes glazed over because there were so many choices, it practically paralyzed them. They would just stand there looking up, not knowing which one to pick. Even if there was one that they thought they might like, as soon as they saw all the other options, then they just weren't sure. And they didn't know, how do I pick out just one that I like? 
think life is like that for a lot of us right now with so many choices coming our way, so many demands for our attention coming our way, it's hard to know what to do. And we can easily suffer from decision fatigue, from confusion, which results in a general paralysis in our decision making. And my hope is that in this series, as we're exploring God's ancient wisdom, is that we can start to associate these clues of truth and honor and being just and what it means to live in purity with what it means to discover and discern the next step in our lives that needs to occur. The more we understand these words, the greater sense of clarity we have around discernment and figuring out a next right step in our lives, no matter where we are. So I invite you again today here from Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, and listen to the clues, the words that are pointing to the target of something bigger. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, in recent weeks, we have started to unpack some of these words. We've unpacked truth and honor and what is just. And now today we explore more carefully what it means to be pure. Of all the words, all the clues, as it were, given in Philippians chapter four, this idea of being pure might be the one we think we know the most about and how it leads to the target of goodness, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. So when I say the word purity to you or that which is pure, what associations start to come to mind for you? What pops to mind when you think about things that are pure? In this neck of the woods, at least in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, maybe you think of purity candy. Every time I travel south on Route 15, I see their sign for their candy at their store and it immediately makes me want some of that candy. Maybe some of you think of a term such as pure motives. We often hear of somebody acting with or without pure motives and what they're doing. Maybe when we think of purity, we think of a newborn baby boy or baby girl because babies so often represent that which is good and clean and pure in our culture, not really tarnished by mistakes in their lives. Or maybe if you happen to be a basketball fan, you think of somebody who is a pure shooter. That means somebody who may not be the best dribbler or the most athletic, but as soon as they get the ball in their hands and they shoot it, they just have such a pure range of motion that very frequently they hit the shot. And so historically, people like Larry Bird or maybe today Stephen Curry are people you think of as a pure shooter. My grandparents used to use the term pure as the driven snow, meaning something that was completely natural, not artificial, not tampered with in any way. And for some of us, I would imagine that the term purity might be something that we think of in relation to sexual purity. And over the years, the church has spent a lot of time on this issue of physical purity. All of these might be things that start to come to mind for us when we think about the term purity. And that's fine to a degree, but I wanna invite us to consider what scripture is sharing with us about purity and to have it give us a larger understanding, almost a background understanding of what's involved with purity so that we associate purity with more than just candy or motives or physical intimacy or any of those types of things. Because for many of us, we tend to reduce purity to a list of learned rules on what we should or should not do. 
but oftentimes we don't understand the logic behind these rules that we tend to enforce. So we say things like stealing is bad, adultery is bad, promiscuity is bad, period. You shouldn't do those things. And of course, we should not do those things. They're not good. But we never go on further and explain why. It's also sort of like swearing or drinking. We say, you should not take the Lord's name in vain. You should not get drunk. And again, we agree on those things, but why? What's going on behind that? What's the bigger picture being shared here? Is this just God's way of putting a damper on our fun or our freedom or us trying to do what we wanna do? No, not at all. There are actually issues of purity coming into play. And for our purposes today, we're gonna to define pure in this way, as author Hannah Anderson says, she says, purity is the condition of being whole and untainted. The condition of being whole and untainted. And I wanna ask us to pause in that understanding of what it means to be pure, because it makes the idea of being pure something much, much bigger than simply following a list of rules of do's and don'ts. If being pure means being whole, then that means what happens in one part of our life directly impacts another part of our life. It means we cannot divide ourselves and do something not good over here in our life while trying to do something good over here in our life. If one part of our life becomes tainted, then it's gonna have an impact, a tainting as it were, on all of who we are. Our whole being is no longer at the same level that it maybe once was of purity it starts to divide us even at the core of our being so that we can say this, what we do in private affects what we do in public. That is to say there is a direct correlation between our faithfulness or lack thereof behind closed doors in private and what the rest of the world sees. If we are faithful in our private places in our lives, it will lead to flourishing in the larger, more public places of our lives. But the reverse of that is also true. Now, this relates not just to our marriages and private places such as our bedrooms. It relates to our business dealings. It relates to how we handle money, both what people see and what they don't see. It relates to how we tell the truth or not. It relates to how we treat others or not. It relates to how we treat creation or not. And on and on and on. Ultimately, all of this relates to the issue of purity. Because being faithful in private has a direct correlation on what we do in public. This is why we hear things such as in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says this, He, in relation to church leaders, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? This is Timothy's way of sharing with us that what we're doing in our own private lives, it's gonna have a direct impact on our leadership in other more public places. Therefore, this issue of purity, it's about cultivating what is good and what is best, and it begins in the hidden, most secretive places in our lives. This has nothing to do with God seeking to limit our fun or our freedom. At its most basic level, remember, purity involves this condition of being whole, and untainted. And I think this is true the more that we dive into it and look at it. So for think, for example, in our own lives, think of examples and times where we think about things that are pure. Think about something like a newborn baby. Why do we think of newborn babies as pure? 
because their lives, for the most part, are not marked up by bad choices. They've not made a lot of mistakes, and therefore there's not a tainting the way that some of us who have experienced or lived into mistakes might have. Therefore, babies represent that which is hopeful and beautiful to us. It's why we enjoy weddings. We see a bride and a groom so full of love with each other. There's a hope and an optimism in the purity of their relationship. Now, the married couples who might be at a wedding, they know that not every day that's to come is going to be like the wedding day. And yet we want to hope and find hope and be inspired in the purity of the love of the couple that's being married in that day because their marriage has not yet been tainted by mistake or heartbreak. Or the reason that we marvel at things like the Olympics, which we've just recently come off of, we marvel at those who can swim in such a pure way that they're faster than others. We, we marvel at those who can jump in such a pure way that they can jump higher than what you or I can. Or we marvel at those who run in such a pure fashion that, again, they just go much faster than what you and I can do. There's a purity in what they're doing that draws us, so we want to watch. It's beautiful and it's inspiring all at the same time. So it is in our lives with Christ and each other. The more untainted our lives, the better the more free, the more beautiful, the more wonderful it is. However, when our lives are tainted, when we are unfaithful in our marriages, when we cheat others in our business dealings, when we lie or gossip about others, when we do not share in honesty, when we engage in unhealthy practices on our computers and absorb images and words that are not good or healthy or beautiful, we end up breaking who we are intended to be as God's agents in the world. We end up tainting the image of God within us. And therefore, this issue of purity, it's a big, big deal. It reminds me of this. You and I are ten, uh, intended to be a little bit more like this. If you can see what I'm holding here, this is uh, some water in a container that I have. Think of this as how we are intended to be, you and I, a sense of being pure. But look what happens every time we make a poor choice. We start to taint the image of God within us. And so a lie here, a choice to elevate ourselves there, an inappropriate sexual choice, a harboring of jealousy or a word of gossip. And look what happens. Notice that the tainting is not restricted to one area in the water. It's not like the bad choice only stays at the top or only stays in the middle or only goes to the bottom. It literally starts to contaminate the whole. It taints the whole. And so if we ever think that we can make choices that we want, even ones that are not pure, in complete isolation and not have that affect the rest of our lives, either in our own lives or spreading to others, we fool ourselves. Thus, this issue of purity, it's a very, very significant one. The results of purity or impurity, they're often seen outwardly, but the reality is they begin inwardly. To pursue that which is pure, it begins in our hearts, in the very core of our being. It's about a deep internal motivation of who we are that eventually will be expressed in an outward manner. 
And this is why pursuing that which is pure can be so very difficult. It involves the essence of who we are, the core of who we are. It involves gut level honesty and humility about our true motives and that which is going to drive us. And let's be completely honest with ourselves here this morning. Most of the time, our motives are driven by who? There's an old song that I like to refer to. Our motives that we tend to pursue are often motivated to support me, myself, and I. It's my wants, my preferences, and it's so, so hard to get beyond me. Therefore, we tend to make decisions only based on me, whether those decisions are pure or not. So how do we get at a place where we live into purity and the core of who we're being? How do we get to a place where we're pursuing, no matter our circumstances, that which is true and honorable and just and pure? I want to ask us to focus a little bit this morning on James chapter 3. The passage in James that we're going to look at here this morning references not only this internal dynamic of motivation connected with purity, but it offers even more clarity around the issue of purity for us to be aware of and for us to pursue. So look with me here this morning. James chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 tell us this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, let's take a step back here a minute. James is an interesting book. It is found in the New Testament. It's only five chapters long, so it's not an overly long book. However, when it comes to books in the Bible that almost did not make it, for the scripture that we currently have today, James ranks right at the top. There was a whole lot of debate around James about all of his focus on doing. And some worried that so much focus on doing would take away from the importance of faith because we want to be very clear, we are saved only by faith, not our actions. And some said that James focused too much on work and actions, but the point of James is to help us understand that as a result of our faith, then comes a life of action. As a result of our faith, our actions are a reflection of that faith or not. And if we do something outwardly that doesn't match up inwardly with our faith, then James says, you're being hypocritical. You are making a mockery of the faith. Listen to what James says also in chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. No mincing of words for James. <laughs> Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James takes this stuff seriously. He takes integrity of faith and action seriously. Now, James is written by a guy named, you guessed it, <laughs> James. In fact, it's James, the brother of Jesus, and he's concerned about people only giving lip service to their faith and not life service to their faith. All talk, no action is a problem for James. He is concerned again about a hypocritical witness. And he is saying to everyone, to followers of God, you have got to live out outwardly what is going on inwardly. So James makes a couple things clear. He says you should do things like avoid favoritism, love your neighbor as yourself, don't break any of the Ten Commandments. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Be joyful even in hard, persecuting times. Look after orphans. Take care of widows. Do these things. It's a lot. 
But here's the thing, James can't explain in every situation what the good, right, wise, pure thing to do is. He can give us a list, but he can't cover every scenario in which you and I find ourselves. So in the very middle of the book, James makes a switch from giving a list of doing the right things to doing something else, and this is fascinating. He switches from just giving a list of doing things out there to making a shift to say, pay attention instead to what's going on in here. So he can give us a limited list of actions to do outwardly, but he realizes he can't cover all scenarios. So he says, if you pay attention instead to what's going on in here, that will give you the wisdom to make a good, right, and pure choice anywhere and in any scenario in which you find yourselves. Ultimately, James knows that what's going on in here determines what's happening out there. Therefore, what happens in our hearts ultimately will be manifested out of our hearts through our actions. And the language that James gives us here today for doing this right thing is to live by a sense of wisdom, a wisdom that will guide us in any scenario so that we will know a next right step to take. And James even goes so far as to tell us how to do this. How do we know that which is wise? James tells us, James 3.17, it will first of all, the wise choice will first of all be pure. Yes, it'll be other things too. It will be peacemaking, it will be considerate, it will be submissive, it will be full of mercy. But first of all, wisdom will be marked by that which is pure and integrity and untainting of our actions compared to the faith we profess. How do we do that? James even helps us with this. He gives us a breakdown. Listen to what it says in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 16, of the kind of wisdom that is marked by purity. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Look what we hear. Humility, lack of envy, a lack of selfish ambition, accepting the truth. And so James begins to name for us what it means to be untainted so that we can be whole. To be pure, that is again, untainted and whole means embrace humility, get rid of the selfish ambition, get rid of the jealousy, embrace truth, do these things and you will find purity, says James. Then, because of that, you'll make wise choices no matter what situation you find yourself in. Get your heart right first, and that will give you the wisdom then to make a pure choice no matter what situation you find yourself in. Right things will come. Justice will come. Beauty will come. But it all flows from this posture of, first of all, being and living in what is pure. And so we hear in James 1.14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Now the capitals there are mine. Where do the seeds of what is pure or not pure come from? James tells us, in your hearts. And so again, do we see, before we ever get to what is just or right or beautiful out there, we must begin with what is right and just in here. That is from a place of a pure heart. Which again is why what we do in private affects what happens in public. 
So let's pull all of this together then. When it comes to making a decision, no matter what situation you find yourself in life in right now, big decisions, small decisions, consequential decisions, maybe ones that seem insignificant, how do we know how to then move forward and take a right step? Well, part of what it involves is doing the really hard work of stepping back and checking our motives to understand why we're doing what we're really doing. And so to help us know how to do that, I want to offer these two simple but significant steps today that will help us make a pure decision. How can I know if the decision I'm going to make is a pure one? Very practical. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take a step back and just ask this question three times. Why am I doing this? It's that simple. The next time you're making a decision, just take a step back, especially if you're not sure what to do, and just say, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? To help you really pause and get to the root of the core motives and what's driving your decision. Am I doing it only for me or for others? And allow the answer to be received truthfully by ourselves. Why am I doing this? Ask that three times. And then secondly, ask who then is this decision ultimately for? And use the James 3 guidelines. Is there an ambition only for myself in this decision? Am I doing it out of a sense of comparison or jealousy or insecurity to keep up with others? Am I making this decision with a sense of humility? Will this decision foster truth and goodness? in some capacity. And we can ask those types of questions in relation to everything that we do, everything from whatever we're going to put on Facebook next, to deciding about the next job offer we receive, to deciding what school we will attend. And the hard truth here is that none of us will be completely pure. We all make mistakes. We all seek to serve ourselves. But the good news for us today is that we serve the one who can make us pure. We serve the one who offers us new life, the one who cleanses, the one who restores, the one who makes us whole again, the one who can remove the tainting in our lives. Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again. Jesus Christ, who meets us and allows us in him to receive God's goodness and grace and mercy, that as we offer our sins and our repentance and our turning away from sin to Jesus and embrace him, he simultaneously receives our sin and tainting and offers us his goodness and mercy anew. And in that we find what is pure. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked you to think about what are some things you associate with that which is pure? There was one other thing you might have thought of that I didn't mention at the beginning of the sermon, and that is water. Pure water is a wonderful thing. To this day, I think the most pure water in the world that I am aware of is found on my parents' farm. They have this wonderful spring behind their home. And I remember when I was growing up and helping my dad with hay and baling, and it seemed like only on the most hot and sticky days did you do those jobs, there would come a point in the day I was absolutely exhausted and craving water and my mouth would be dry and sticky. And I would go and I would just drink this water straight out of the hose, straight from the spring and tasted so good. It was refreshing and it gave me renewed life and revived life. And it was wonderful. It was an utter contrast to the dust and the dirt that I had been in. I loved it because it wasn't tainted. 
That water had not been anywhere else. It was straight from the source. There were no chemicals or bottling or anything like that. It was just wonderful and pure. And now today we come and we have the opportunity to celebrate again, to drink deeply in the waters of the life found in Jesus Christ. We too can drink straight from the source of Christ, straight from the source of life, untainted, no chemicals, no processing, no extra packaging. We too can drink directly in the spirit of Jesus Christ, welcoming Christ and his Holy Spirit into our lives. And so today, that's my invitation to you, to drink deeply, to confess with your mouth, to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And that as his reality becomes our reality, we discover that which is pure because we quit living for ourselves and we are now driven in the motives of Jesus Christ, which leads to all things good and wonderful and beautiful and untainted and whole. Today, I want to invite you to drink from the life found in Jesus Christ, that which is not tainted or marked by mistake or messed up because of what we've done wrong, but instead is pure because of what Christ has done for us. Drink deeply today for the waters of God's Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus Christ are offered abundantly to you and to me. Let us drink and celebrate in the purity of Jesus Christ.